Anna's going to start with some pictures uh, of her time in Greece. She uh, went to Thessaloniki at one point in her trip, and uh, that's kind of the region that our spot in Acts is focusing on right now. Paul is on his way to Thessalonica, um, which it's called Thessaloniki now. I don't know when that changed or why or for whatever reason. But So she's going to show you some of what happened and just the way the city looks, and I'll let her take it from there. So I spent a little bit, I spent some time in Athens and then in Thessaloniki and they were so different. Uh, Athens was super, has anyone been to Greece? No. Have you been, you've been to Athens and Thessaloniki? I've been to Athens, not the Thessaloniki, no. Okay, so Athens is so, it's uh, it's kind of reminds me of like LA, like it's more hip, there's more groups like graffiti everywhere, um, just more a younger generation feeling. And then Thessaloniki kind of felt like old, old town, old soul, kind of like San Diego maybe. It's, it's got like a, just a different feel to it. Still has like graffiti, still have young kids, but it, it was, it was, it was really cool. It was really different. And I thought it was interesting because Steve kind of talked about last week how, you know, in certain nations, there's just like a, like a spirit or you'll, there's something over like places. And I know like when I was in like China, there was like, there was almost, it was like this like apathy. Like when you go there, you can feel that and it's something you feel. And when um, we were in Thessaloniki, it was really interesting because there was, I don't know a good word for it, but it was almost like there was like a pride. It was almost like a lot of people struggled with that. People had like, it maybe people were just prideful, I, I hate to say that, but it was, that was there. People were, uh, it was very interesting talking to people in Thessaloniki versus in Athens. It was just very different. Um, but was what was really cool is that we went to a school, and that was like one of our, our things that we do. We went evangelizing, and so, I mean, how do you evangelize to a group of people who know, like, maybe know in their head, but like... They live in this cultural place. They know, like, they know scripture. They've heard it probably their lives. A lot of them grew up in the Orthodox Church. Like, they, they know. Like, when we bring up Jesus, they know who he is. It's not like none of them know who Jesus is. And so it was really, it was a different form of evangelizing. And so it was really cool, though, because we went on this, the, into the school, into this, like, it was a college. And we got to go on campus and talk to the kids and the students. And it was really intimidating because, like, they would what like they were like really interested in debating but what was so cool is that you'd spend like maybe an hour talking to them and then you would leave whereas here you can get into this big debate and people get into fights but there you're having this like argument or you're having this debate and then when you leave you they hug you and they're like oh that was so cool why don't you come back tomorrow let's talk again mm. and so it was so cool because they had this it was just this really different um i never experienced that before in talking to people about Jesus most of the time you either get people who like shun you and they don't want to hear or they have you have people who like they, they already know what you're talking about or you have people that accept it but it was really interesting to have someone who didn't agree with you or didn't like really like everything about the gospel and they wanted to pick that apart and then they wouldn't get mad about having different opinions it was like oh it's okay and then like they wanted to hang out afterwards they're gonna get coffee and so it was really cool um but I went around Easter time, and so that was, like, really awesome to be there. Um, this was, like, an Easter service they were just having out um, 
in the open, and it was pretty cool. It was kind of close to a synagogue, but it was really cool. Are they cool. mostly Eastern Orthodox, or what's the... What's that? Greek or, Orthodox. Or they... This is, the yeah, it's a like Greek Orthodox. Greek Orthodox. Mm-hmm. But it was pretty. That's really. That's even bigger. That's like old. Yeah. It was one of the nicer ones. Like the chairs. Yeah, those are not look comfortable. Is there like an old town and a like more modern part, or is it sort of just one? Just all intermixed kind of thing. It's kind of all intermixed, but there's definitely certain parts that are like uh, there's older a lot of older buildings together, but it's not really specified. Oh, this is like this part. Because a lot of the, um, they have a lot of new shops, so like the one place, you saw that video where we were jumping rope, yeah. that was very modernized, that was a lot, like there's shops, restaurants and all of that by the water, but the, some, so, some inland parts, they were like a lot of buildings close together that were like clusters that were older. Hmm. This is the actual city, this is taking wow. up from like yeah. a... Yeah, it's right on the coast. Wait, this is... Thessaloniki? Okay. Yeah, all of these are going to be Thessaloniki. But yeah, it's it's right right on the coast. It was really pretty. The, the closer you get down to the water, it is pretty. Oh, this is at, like, in the mart. Um, we would always go get our food, and then you have, like, some Orthodox Jews mm-hmm. actually in there. And the other really weird thing is that, like, when you find out, and when you're there, when you're walking, I didn't get better. I didn't really get good pictures, but... They're just like building on top of the old ruins. Right. So it's not like, oh, like let's tear this building down. It's like they just kind of build on top of it. They just kind of keep adding them. So then how old is this right here? I don't know, but it's pretty old. (laughs) And then I actually have pictures of Berea just because we went. And so I'm just going to show those because it is is very different from um, Thessaloniki. So this was, it's kind of hard, but this is like going into Berea, this was some different spots. Which is pretty cool because um, like right after this portion acts that I'm going to go over after this, um, uh, Steve is going to be in like going over like the Bereans, you know, and so like this is like right after this is like they went to that area too. Oh. So, so we're actually going to... We were actually going to go to the, the temple that, or the synagogue that the like the church started the, the church that started in Berea, but the guy who had the keys we couldn't find. So <laughs> there's this whole thing, but we were walked to the church. Um, but then they never pointed out the church and we were asking, but they but the the guy in the sweatshirt was really cool. Um, he was actually um, he was Jewish. He was from um, like he lived in Israel and he it was really cool. We got to like just cross paths with him and it was really interesting to be there and talk with him. But um, it, that's like the whole cobblestone streets. That's kind of what I envision more of like what Thessaloniki probably was like at a certain point. Mm. But it was definitely more of a city. But you... Brea's smaller. Mm-hmm. Brea's more like, like a little town. Right. But we they have this uh, this thing there to Paul. It's like in the middle. Like it's like a shrine. Yeah. Well, not a shrine, but it like the picture of Paul. <laughs> that's what it looked like. So it was it was like really cool to go there and kind of see that it was a little bit different feel than compared to Thessaloniki where it was like a city um just felt like any other city it's just a little bit more old 
Cool. So that's uh, that's kind of more modern Thessaloniki. Um, and so I'm not going to go over the the town as much and the uh, and the uh, going through the scripture, but I mean it's kind of cool to see like what it looks like now, and so to think of like where it's come <clears throat> thanks to Paul and the apostles. So, but so our text today is in Acts 17. And so we're going to be uh, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read through the passage really quick, just so we can kind of get it all in our brain as we're going through it. It says, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. So, um... it's uh, kind of a small section, but there's a lot in there. And um, it's interesting. We I know last week Steve went over how Paul and his crew, they basically were imprisoned and like they were beaten, you know. And so um, and it's really cool, I think, to see how Paul has been directed by the Holy Spirit through his missionary journeys. And um, at that point, it, it led him there and he was captured and eventually was let out. And then we see in this case, he continues to follow the leading of the Spirit and what he does. But before I kind of break it down a little bit further, um, I wanted to share a story that I read online. Um, and uh, I think it'll tie in a little bit later, but um, I wanted to share it. A few years ago, uh, there was this American guy. His name was Larry Walters. He was 33 years old. He was from Los Angeles. And uh, he decided he wanted to see his local area from a new perspective. So uh, he went down to a local army surplus store and he bought 45 used weather balloons. Then after he strapped himself into a garden chair and several of his friends tied the now helium filled balloons to the chair, he took a six pack of beer, a sandwich and a BB gun with him. Okay. So he figured he could shoot the balloons down uh, one at a time when he was ready to land. And um, he assumed the balloons would lift him about 100 feet in the air. So he didn't think he would go that high. But he was caught a little off guard when uh, about 15, 20 minutes later, he had soared to 11,000 feet in the sky. Um, And so it it kind of, he supposedly was like right in the middle of uh, the air traffic pattern uh, for LAX, oh and so they had to delay flights all day long, like totally ruined everything, um, and he was too afraid to shoot any of the balloons down, because he didn't know if he shot one, if he would fall and die, um, and so um, it took a long time, but eventually 
Uh, he was safely grounded, and the police just wrote him a ticket, and that was it. Wow. <laughs> and so, uh, no. needless to say, there was a bunch of reporters all around him. They asked him uh, three questions. Uh, the first question was, were you scared? And he answered, yes, I was scared. Uh, second question was, would you do it again? And he said, no. The third question was, why did you do it? And his answer was, because you can just sit there. And that was it. He said, because you can just sit there. So essentially, like, <laughs> I will relate a little bit later, but I think that um, the message in the book of Acts um, is saying something similar, at least in these verses, is um, the world has no idea who the real Jesus is. They um, have no idea what the real message of Christianity is. And um, in a world with no idea what the good news of the gospel of the book of Acts is a reminder that you can't just sit there. That sometimes you got to get up, you got to go do something different. Um, and so, just like uh, Larry Walters, um, <laughs> uh, reaching people for God takes action. And so, um, let's get back into the Bible. And so, in verse 1, it says, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but... Um, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And like I said before, Paul is one of the first traditional missionaries um, that we know about. He wanted to spread the gospel all over the place. And from the book of Acts, Paul had three major missionary journeys. We're right in the middle of the second one. And so it goes through chapter 18, and then there, his last one is the next three chapters. But at this part, he did a lot of walking. From where he was imprisoned in that city... He walked through Amphipolis, it says in Apollonia, into Thessalonica. That was about 100 miles. So it was a lot of walking. I thought it was interesting because uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, he doesn't really talk about what they did there at all. It just says they passed through. And that's a big area to just pass through. And so knowing Paul and Silas, like, I'm sure they did certain things, but it probably just wasn't as, like, big and successful as maybe Thessalonica was. But it kind of, like made me think, well, do these places not need the gospel too? Like, and I think the answer is definitely yes, but Paul had a plan. And I think also, um, like when uh, Steve was talking about it, um, he's just following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And so he may not have stopped as long, but um, as we see later on, there actually was a plan in place. And so if you look at Thessalonica, it was a more, it was kind of like Anna showed, it was on the water. So there was a lot of traffic there. There was a lot of um, ships coming in and out. So there was actually a lot of like cultural diversity happening. There was a lot of people coming from all over, going out. And so going to Thessalonica was actually like ministering kind of to like Los Angeles and like places around it would get affected by the ministry happening there. And so um, we actually can see that um, his plan was successful. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8, it says, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. And this is his letter to the Thessalonians. And so it worked. He, he went there and starts a church in um, Thessalonica. And these Thessalonians, they start ministering to basically, he says, everywhere. And so we can see that his plan actually paid off. But um, I thought it was also very interesting that Paul is very courageous because even though he was beaten, he continues on his journeys to minister to the people. 
But yeah, so let's uh, keep moving. So Acts uh, 17.2 says, As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. I kind of wanted to like highlight that one part right there where it says Paul reasoned from the scriptures because he gave the gospel that Jesus was the Messiah and his death and resurrection was necessary and that Christ was sacrificed for all of us um, and that we would have righteousness and life through him. But Paul didn't do it from his own thinking. And so I think that our faith should be grounded in the Bible. And I think that's what we learn at church. I think that's what we try to do here is not to so much have ourselves be the ones telling you what's going on, but we want to look at the Bible and um, actually have our thinking and our doctrine and all that stuff formed by the ultimate authority, which is God. We want to treat it as if God was here talking to us. That's how we should treat the Bible. That's actually him speaking to us. It's interesting because when you compare that to like Roman Catholicism, they actually take the Bible and they'll cross-reference it with the Pope and the leaders of the, the church there, and they actually don't hold scripture and its highest authority that they should. Whereas we see Paul here doesn't actually behave that way. It says he reasoned from the scriptures, not from himself, uh, but from the scripture. It's also really interesting. It says, um, as was his custom, uh, he went into the synagogue. And so we see first thing in Thessalonica goes to the church, goes to a place that's familiar where people know about God, essentially. I mean, it may be a little different, but for the most part, they kind of know what he's talking about. So that's where he starts. And um, let's look at the next verse. It says, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Uh, sometimes we need things explained. Sometimes it's not super clear, but... I think Paul probably did a pretty good job. And so essentially, it doesn't talk a lot about what he, he, he talked about. It just gives a brief overview and basically two points. The Messiah must have died and risen again. So first point it mentions. Second thing, that Messiah is Jesus. So two major points. And so again, Paul's not preaching primarily to Gentiles, but it's mostly Jews as he's in the synagogue. There will be some non-Jewish people that are there, but for the most part, it's going to be primarily Jews. And so they probably would have had an idea that mankind is pretty much hopeless, that they deserve punishment, that God is the only way um, to take that punishment from us. And so he doesn't necessarily lay out the whole gospel again. He kind of mentions two major things and hits it right at the, like, smack in the jaw. And so... If you look at Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We can see that this here is kind of talking about how the Messiah had to die for us. He had to suffer for us and basically take our iniquities on him. And because of that, we are all healed, at least those who would accept it. Paul, having convinced the Jews uh, to a certain degree about this, I mean, they kind of already had an idea. The, the harder thing was for him to convince them that Jesus, the son of Mary, was the Messiah. And so, I mean, Jesus is kind of new. I mean, he's just come around. Not a lot of people are going to know about him. And so, I can imagine being in Paul's situation and being like, hey, I met a guy, like... <laughs> Like, well, I didn't meet him. I mean, I, I kind of met him, but uh, he was born like 30 years ago, and he's your Messiah. You guys don't know about him. I can just picture the Jews 
feeling like this guy is serious. But he continued to give reason after reason after reason, and it seemed to be acceptable to some people. And so um, from what I understand from the Old Testament, as far as what we know about Jesus, is something that we talk about a lot is biblical prophecies. And it says uh, from something I looked up online that Jesus fulfilled over 400 biblical prophecies through his life and death. Um, Again, that's according to the Bible. That's a huge number. It's pretty overwhelming. Um, I'm only going to share like five, and so, but I'm going to share a few quick ones with you guys really quick. Um, but this is what Paul had to work with. He didn't have the New Testament written to be like, hey, look at this, because he was the writer of it, and he was living it. And so um, at the time, they had the Old Testament. And so uh, the first one uh, was Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The original prophecy is found in Micah chapter 5. It says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet one of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth and from of old, from everlasting. And the fulfillment happens when uh, Christ is born, King Herod gathers all the chief priests and the scribes uh, to ask them where Jesus is going to be born, or the Messiah is going to be born. And they show him this prophecy. And that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so it's, this is the actual passage. It's Matthew chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. It says, They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd from my people Israel. Um, and then again, we have a similar account in the book of John, but I'm going to skip over that. And then uh, the second one, Uh, Jesus was born of a virgin. Uh, The original passage is in Isaiah 7. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Then in Matthew chapter 1, it says, um, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And it's just as Isaiah said, this is exactly the story we see about Jesus. He's born of a virgin. And the angel tells him to call him Emmanuel. They do. And so there we go. Prophecy number two. Um, Number three, Jesus was rejected by his people. And Psalm 118, it says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And the fulfillment of that is in Matthew 21. It says, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then the next one is Jesus suffered with and for sinners. The original prophecies in Isaiah 53, it says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And we see a similar thing in all of the Gospels except for John. It says that two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one to the left. And so there we go. That's number four. And the last one I have here is uh, Jesus performed miracles. In Isaiah 35, it says, And the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. And then about 700 years later, In the book of John, it says, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. It says, In that very hour he cured many 
of infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. So again, those are just five. He <laughs> fulfilled over 400. So there's a lot. And so these are just some of the ways that Paul might have. It doesn't necessarily say how he convinced them of this, but um, that's the way I would have thought to do it. But Paul's a smart guy. He might have done it differently. <laughs> uh, Acts 17, verse 4. It says, uh, so some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So it says some of the Jews believed, not all, but some. So, I mean, that's good. But uh, it seems as though the Greeks believed uh, in large numbers, in which um, they had less understanding or background in the law and the prophets than the Jewish people did, but they were more willing to accept the gospel, which I thought was kind of interesting. But you'd think the Jews would kind of be like jumping for joy that like Paul is like, hey, I found the Messiah we've been looking for. But they're like, oh, I don't know about this. And the Greeks are like, man, like, I didn't even know I needed this, but I need this, you know. So it's really interesting to see the, the way that that worked. So we had a lot of people follow Paul and Silas. So uh, there was opposition, though. So as we look at verse 5, it says, other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. And so I saw this old saying from a guy named John Wesley. He used to have basically these young guys that he, tra he would train to be pastors, and um, he would ask them two questions whenever they would go out to preach. They would come back, and he would say, did anyone get converted? And then after that, he would say, did anyone get mad? And those are the two questions he'd ask every time. And if the answer was no to both of those, he would say, the Lord did not call you to preach the gospel. And that was it. You're out of here. You're out of the course. And so I thought it was kind of intense. And so he would just kind of send them out on their business. And his reasoning behind it was he believed that when we preach and the Holy Spirit was at work, that there would be conviction of sin people are either going to be converted or they don't like what they hear and they're going to get mad. And so basically, I mean, like I said, to put it simply, some people are going to get saved. Some people are going to want to beat you up, just like we see here um, in Acts. Now, I don't know if that is necessarily every time we preach, because I know at least from what I've seen, like sometimes people are just kind of neutral about it in today's society. They're kind of like, well, that's cool for you. I don't know. Like, that's whatever. And so... But I think, by and large, there should be a response because it's kind of an offensive thing. And so you either going to see the error of what you're doing or you're going to be angry about it. And so uh, we see it happening here in Thessalonica. There's basically a riot. And these jealous Jews, they basically go to the hood. They, like, start stirring things up. And they try to find Paul and Silas, and they can't. So they, like, well, what about that guy Jason? We saw him with him. And so, I mean, they're just looking for anything they can. They're kind of try to, trying to get ahead of this. They're saying that, like, they're causing trouble all over the world. They're being, they're kind of exaggerating a little bit. Um, and so um, it's just really interesting how jealous these guys got. And so verse 6 through 9, I'm just going to read the rest of those together. Um, it says, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and others post bond and let them go. 
just real quick, in case you weren't sure who Jason of Thessalonica is, um, I, I looked him up as best as I could. I couldn't find much on him. Um, the only other place he's mentioned in the Bible is in Romans 16. He was one of the 70 disciples of Jesus, some say. And so um, Paul and Silas stay with Jason while they minister in the city. So they probably like are going there. He's like, hey, like I have a place here. Like You guys can stay here. And that's just kind of the way it works. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, again, back to the Jews. They're causing all this stir. They're basically looking for any Christians they can find, it seems like, at this point. And they're just trying to stop all this good stuff from happening. People are having their lives changed, and the Jews don't like it. So, some scholars actually think that in this situation where it says Jason had to post bond, that uh, he they were actually agreeing with the courts there that... Paul and Silas would not be allowed back to the churches in Thessalonica to do any ministry there because of the uproar they caused. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was interesting. I don't know if that's true, but I thought it was just interesting to think about that maybe in the situation Jason had to, for the good of the church growing there, say like, yeah, like, like we'll sign whatever you have to, like, just let us go. But kind of interesting. Uh, I kind of wanted to close with this little, this other little thing that I was reading the other day. It's about uh, Mercedes-Benz, the uh, car company. They were the first company who produced a car body that had the design of a absorbed force of a collision on impact. And so, like, their body actually was able to, like, take all this, like, extra, like, damage in a crash, you know, and you'd still be okay. And so, one of Mercedes-Benz TV commercials is, like, super famous for being the first ones to do this. But it shows their car colliding with a cement wall going down, like, a ramp, you know. It shows it going, hits the wall, shows the 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 craft and says like look like this is what our cars can do right and so since then uh, of course we've seen a lot of car commercials do this almost every brand of car has had some kind of commercial like this most of them still have that in there and one of the company's spokesperson was being interviewed and he was asked wh- uh, why they do not enforce their patent on the Mercedes Benz um, on the car body and he said he kind of like just replied like matter of factly. Because some things in life are too important not to share, was his quote. And so I think just like Larry Walters, Paul and Silas didn't just sit around. And they got up and did something about it. And I think even more so than these Mercedes-Benz spokesmen and all these people, I think we as Christians have something a lot more important to share. But uh, it has been my prayer these last few days that we would be stirred and be bold following the lead of the Spirit, just like Paul did, that we would make non-Christian friends and minister to them, whether that's through, like, a bowling league or, like, I don't know, art class or something, um, that we would find a way to share the message of the truth with people who don't have it. And so I wanted to um, open up a time of prayer. I think that... I don't know if you guys would prefer to do a just kind of open air thing. I, I kind of like doing it more personal, so maybe we could like get in groups of three. Um, just so we could all be prayed for. But just, I guess, the focus, I think, and obviously you guys can pray for whatever um, the Lord leads you to, but that we would have boldness to share the truth, to do that more if it's not something we do. Or if we would have patience, like Paul did, even though he was beaten, and he, even though he went to these synagogues, he preached three Sabbaths in a row. That's a long time to go back to the same place. And so that we would have patience. And, or sometimes, I know for me, like, I, looking at this, it says he reasoned from the scriptures. Maybe you feel like you don't know it the way you should, you know, and maybe that the Lord would create a hunger and you to actually, like, dig in a little bit more. 
But um, let's break up into threes and uh, or fours, and um, we'll uh, we'll all pray for each other. <laughs>